Just for Sailor. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men. podcast. My name is Ryan Young. I'm your host and I'm here with Debbie Dunbar. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm thank so you. glad to be here. Thank you so much for um, recording with me. Oh, again. I've been looking forward to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was so glad that we got to do it again. <laughs> we did one before and uh, my engineer told me it was not very good, so we're going to redo it. Uh-huh. Apparently, using a cell phone in a coffee shop is not the best idea. Uh-huh. So here we are. All right. So uh, tell me about yourself. Well. Who are you? I am Debbie Dunbar. Uh, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I'm located here in Fort Worth, Texas, and I have a small private practice. And uh, I think... One of the things I like to say is I help people live inside their skin a little bit more comfortably and manage things in life that, that come up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with a variety of uh, different experiences from recent events, trauma, ongoing trauma. Uh, I do some work with mothers and their daughters and families, um, help people uh, overcome whatever it is that they're working through in that moment. Excellent. Yeah. So you're... <clears throat> You know, working with mothers and daughters, mm-hmm. what's that like? Is that like a, um, uh, you just kind of talk them both off the ledge or let them teach them how to communicate with each other? That's basically it, how to communicate. It's pretty interesting to me. I, I find that in this day and age, a lot of parents um, are afraid to parent. They are looking a little bit more at being friends. Mm. And so as a result, they either overparent or underparent. What I mean by overparent is sometimes there's a little bit too much punishment. And uh, punishment basically teaches kids how to punish themselves when they grow up, and it typically is uh, it sets up a sense of struggle. Um, however, there is this thing called natural consequences for one's behavior, and um, uh, one of the things I run into quite often with mothers, in particular, and, and dads as well, but I see more moms, uh, is that they want to rescue their children from pain. And um, I get it. That's a a wonderful thing. You don't want your children to hurt, of course, right? Sure. But at the same time, a little bit of pain is uh, how we learn. We we learn through three things, pain, pleasure, and repetition. And so many times, um, experience and natural normal consequences, they're uncomfortable. And that is how we learn. And so, uh, yeah, I teach, uh, I, I work with them on communication, respect, natural consequences, on par with whatever the behavior was. Boundaries. Boundaries. What does respect look like? What does it mean in their family? Because I don't know what respect looks like in their family, but I can foster that conversation between mother and daughter and our family members. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. I can understand that because I know with, uh, with my daughter, we have, um, I don't want to get too many, into too many details in case she listens to this. I don't <laughs> want to embarrass her and, you know, cause more issue but you know there's things like um learning to choose your battles you Mm -hmm. know 
um, I remember expressions like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And it's teaching her proper boundaries and respect. She just turned 12, you know, and, and her mother and I are in a co-parenting environment, I guess you would call it. And so she goes back and forth from house to house and the rules are slightly different. And definitely the atmosphere is different. Um, but the message is the same, you know? So she will try to get away with anything she can. And I, I expect that because she's 12. She's acting just how a 12-year-old should. And she's the only child. And, you know, I, I was not an only child, so I can't relate to that necessarily. But, um, for instance, it's things like hygiene. You know, that w- there, was a, there was a situation the other night. And, and it's like, hey, make sure you wash your hair. And, okay. And because if you don't wash it, I'm going to wash it for you. It's gotten to that kind of that point Uh and you know it just it it got washed i'm using air quotes Uh but she just rubbed water on it and came back and it's all washed dad yeah and i smell her hair and i'm like no it's not it's not and then it just i could have just said you know and uh her mother and i have talked about it since because i could have just said you know if that's how you want to take care of yourself that's fine i mean i think you could do more but Good night. You know, and let her deal with that consequence. Let her deal with the greasy hair and her friends making fun of her and stinky hair and whatever. That's her thing. You know, I think sometimes shame is a good motivator. We, we worry so much about, you know, people hurting our fi- or people being mean to us or our kids and feeling ashamed. And we don't want them to feel any of that stuff. But I want my daughter <clears throat> at times to feel shame. Appropriate levels, right? Yeah. Yeah. Shame, the way I look at shame, there's so many different people and different books and different authors on what shame is and isn't. And I like the um, Jacques Panksepp version of shame. And it's an innate affect, a.k.a. emotion, that helps us live in a in our in a society you know humans are pack animals right so the way shame is even all mammals have a sense of shame right Mm -hmm. and so it helps you live within your community within your pack and if we had no shame well let's face it we would just all walk around naked and taking other people's things all the time right so shame kind of helps us live within our pack within our group within our culture um i was sharing with a a person i get to work with the other day and um in our culture it's unacceptable to pick your nose in public right Right. shame is that affect that usually occurs right around your diaphragmatic area that gets a tight heavy sinking feeling that keeps you from walking around in public picking your nose like you and i sitting here talking you know that natural affect of shame keeps me from picking my nose while i'm sitting here talking with you well Let's say we lived, I believe it's in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not offensive to pick your nose in Korea. Okay. Right? And so in their culture, that's an acceptable behavior. So if you're in Korea and you're in a business meeting, you're picking your nose, nobody really cares. Not a big deal. Right. So in America, we have a different culture, and that's unacceptable here. It's interesting. And so shame kind of helps us live within our society, within our culture, within our pack, if you will. Mm-hmm. And without it, we don't know where the boundaries are. And so it's a loud affect and it occurs right in your gut and it's kind of heavy, tight, and it feels uncomfortable. And we want to listen to that because it helps us guide our decisions. So allowing your daughter sometimes, you know, and it's a parenting call, right? Um, there's, there's over 500 ways to do one thing right. I heard that once and I love it. 
So, you know, it, it could be a judgment call. It might, might be interesting to allow her to go to school with dirty, stinky hair and see what her friends do. That natural, I need to fit into my group might kick in. And if they tease her a little bit, she comes home and she goes, Dad, I feel so bad I got teased today. You could talk about it. Oh, because my hair is greasy. Oh, honey, that must have been difficult. What do you want to, what can we do with that? Yeah. Right? And that sounds awesome, that dialogue, but of the course. way it would go. And I know most of the guys are like, yeah, that's sure. no way I'm saying that shit. I'd be like, I told you, <laughs> I told you you're going to smell bad. Right. You know, but you don't want to talk to your kid that way, especially yeah. your daughter. And maybe boys are different, but I know like with my, my daughter, uh-huh. you know, my focus is, is to teach her to be strong and be independent and be powerful and be sure of herself, but also to be kind and to be loving and, and to, you know, I, I don't know, not be a ball buster, not, you know, not just be mean to people because she's, you know, I've overplayed it. Now she's arrogant. So there's that fine line of, of, of teaching her, um, how to be. And honestly, there's times she just doesn't give a fuck, you know? <laughs> I mean, she's, I'm like, are you sure you want to go to school with okay and she's like man I look awesome I'm like all right well at least you're confident (laughs) you know I mean and there's something to be said about that allowing her to have her voice and her decision it's allowing her space to be who she is that's a very loving act yeah very loving you know Mm -hmm. I've always I've always told her kind of like in so many words let your freak flag fly like Mm -hmm. just do your thing just Mm -hmm. do you and be Mm -hmm. good at it and be confident in it and Mm -hmm. don't follow the crowd and but at the same time as her dad, I'm like, no, 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 you got to wash and brush your hair so the crowd doesn't make fun of you. So, I mean, it's that it's that bounce. Yeah. But the other night, you know, instead of just letting it go, it was mm-hmm. 10 o'clock at night. We had a long, a long day and it was a great day. It was just her and I together. And and um, and man, the wheels came off and it was a colossal meltdown. And, you, and I could have just said, go to bed. We'll talk about it later. But instead... You know, I had to display that dominance and be right. And then it was just a shitstorm. So, I mean, you know, you're picking your battles. Know when to mm-hmm. say, no, this is what you're going to do. And the other thing that's so interesting is that once we're in a battle, for lack of a better word, when, we, when we're kind of aware and mindful of what we're doing, how we're participating, it's always an option when we're aware of it to kind of pause and give ourselves a timeout and even de-escalate the situation and say, oh, you know what? Dad needs a timeout. <laughs> right. I'm going to pause and uh, let's take a timeout. And one of the things that that does is it allows space for you to not be a perfect parent. It allows space for you to admit when you're wrong and it allows space for her to do the same thing because there is no such thing as perfection, really. We're, we're always learning moment to moment to moment and we get the opportunity to update and adjust as we go along. And so we can always stop, whether it's with our with a child, with a partner, with a a spouse, with a friend, with a stranger on the street, when we notice ourselves showing up in a way that we don't even agree with, we can push our pause button (laughs) and just pause. (laughs) Take a minute, take a deep breath, exhale, connect to the ground, and then re-enter the conversation when our our system is lowered, for lack of a better word, de-escalated, right? I like to say zero to 10. If we're six or greater, it might be an okay thing if we're having conversation, right? It might be an okay thing to pause (laughs) and maybe see if we could turn our dial down to, I don't know, three, four, five, right? 
So especially when dealing with children, because what that does is it really sets up a struggle, right? It, it sets up that resistance. It's physics. Every action has an equal opposite reaction. And when we force, they're going to force back. Yeah. Um, I never had children, but I do recall being a child and observing my dad, who had an incredible temper um, and forced a lot of things. Um, I, I can recall observing him with my brother as well as experiencing him with myself. It was tough. Yeah. There's, um, you know, and sometimes I wonder if she just wants the drama, like if she needs it, because I think of, uh, you know, things like even bad press is good press, you know, just any reaction, any kind of um, any because I'm noticing her at that point and she's her presence is there and, and she's she's being she's being seen no matter what light it is. It's in. Yeah. And it's um, it is difficult. But, you know, then on the flip side, I know that that's just part of her finding her way. And it's and it's my job as her guide mm-hmm. and her dad to not allow her to go down that road. And so actually, you know, I feel so the other night, for example, when I got done and stepped back and saw how it went, I was like, man, that's all on me. One hundred percent. That was on me because I'm the adult. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm 37. I, I should act like a 37. year. I'm acting like she's acting the age she's supposed to act. I need to act the age that I'm supposed to act. And it would have been so much easier for me to just step away and be like, no, we're not going to do that tonight. Good night. Dry your hair off. Brush your teeth if you want. But isn't that one of the things that makes you such a great dad, Ryan, is that, you know, learning always occurs in the rearview mirror. Hindsight is twenty twenty. These These f- phrases are out there because they're real, right? right? And so, yeah, so you kind of unpacked the situation and you learned from it. That's what makes you a great dad. Thank you. Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. So now you have new information. And perhaps you'll do this same thing two or three, four more times. You'll unpack it, deconstruct it, if you will. And then maybe the fourth or fifth time you'll learn something different and you'll be in the moment and you'll go, oh, wait, I don't have to do it this way. I have options. Yeah. And that's also the other thing that's so cool is you're allowing your space to grow, yourself space to grow. You're seeing yourself. You're being with yourself. You're noticing what you're doing. And your daughter benefits from that because whether she knows it or not, she's observing you doing this. So she knows it's okay not to be perfect and to learn from mistakes. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really pretty cool stuff. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I will say that um, largely that's I, I credit that to you and the work that we've done together. You know, um, obviously the reason that I had you on or have you on is because I love you and you're one of my favorite people, but also the work that you do with uh, children and their relationships with themselves and, and adults and the relationship with their inner child and just how they both mesh and how we can just generally go through life a little easier on ourselves and others. <clears throat> and, you know, I've learned so much from you in that regard that that is a lot of the thing that was the catalyst to starting this because this was going to happen. It was already in my mind, but you know, as we were doing more and more work together, it just pushed it forward that much quicker. And because I can see the importance of this while I see the importance in what you do. And so thank you for that. Oh, thank you. As I'm listening to you, um, I can feel my heart melting and swelling at the same time because <laughs> you know how much I love you. And uh, you're so... Uh, 
such an impactful person in my life and you've changed me so much just knowing you and being friends with you over the years and then the work that we've been able to do together it, it changes me too so I feel blessed I am blessed yeah yeah um, and doing that inner child work is so powerful because um, there's a great book out there, uh, Dan Siegel, and um, I want to say The Child Within. And what I'll do is I'll uh, make sure at the end of the podcast I give you the actual name. I'm probably not giving the proper name of the book. But what it does is it really kind of helps parents parent themselves Sure. So that they could be better, reparent themselves, so, so they could show up differently with their children. And one of the things I heard you talking about earlier is that I'm 37. You know, it's for me to act like a 37-year-old, and it's for my daughter to act like a 12-year-old. And I found myself acting like a 12-year-old, and she was too, right? And so one of the things that Dan Siegel talks about a lot um, is the developing brain. Oh, I'll, I'll get it. Now it's bothering me. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. It's not coming to me. Anywho, Dan Siegel, um, what he talks about is as we go back and we reparent ourselves because all adults have unmet developmental needs. It's just the facts. You know, it's just going to happen. Um, that's what adulthood is all about is recovering from childhood right? <laughs> and fulfilling those unmet needs that our parents did the best they could and they're not going to meet them all, right? So... As we reparent ourselves from our early life wounds, then we're less likely to get that activated. The 12-year-old in you is less likely to get activated by the 12-year-old in your beautiful daughter. And so, but also what you're doing is you're showing up and you're unpacking and learning from your behavior. So by default, you are reparenting your inner 12-year-old that didn't have the kind of parent that you are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. You know, like... That was another thing that um, I know shapes me. I'm not going to say it's a crutch or it's my identity anymore. There for a while, once I started doing work in it, I kind of used it as a crutch or an identity. And like I know everybody in my life did the best they could do. Nobody woke up in the morning and was like, I'm going to be an asshole to Ryan. It's, it's, they're just not that type of people. I mean, the people in my life were, are good salt of the earth people. I just don't think that uh, emotionally they were equipped to parent someone like me and there was some other issues there that happened but also not having a father around you know and that that was uh it's difficult so moving forward as a parent learning to parent you know i'm a lot of times it's, it's not so much even reparenting it's just parenting period like there was things that i just didn't know how to do right and by default, and when I, I'm so glad you said that by default, when I'm saying reparenting, I'm, I'm saying kind of meeting the needs that weren't met as a child, sure. right? So we become our own parent to that child within that in some ways is kind of stuck in time because they didn't get the needs met that needed to be met back then, back there. So in many ways, we're the perfect person today to go back and do some healing within our system and within ourselves, so that we show up differently today and we're able to be our age, if you will, here in the moment. Yeah. And, and I really see that you're doing that. And a large part of being able to do that is what you were talking about earlier, being compassionate with self, uh, you know, allowing space for yourself to be who you are, uh, learning from your mistakes, knowing when you made a mistake. And typically, I'm pretty sure it's your gut that guides you, right? Oh, man, this is hot. This is heavy. I'm observing myself acting in a way I'd prefer not act. And then as we do that and we're paying attention to where we're at in the moment, 
that's really how we learn. Yeah. And for y'all listening, um, you know, she's pointing to her sternum mm. just just under her, her chest there. And that's, for me, that's, uh, that's where shame shows up. And you talk to grown men, um, especially alpha males or guys of, of that type of personality about this stuff. And most of the time you get that look like, like well, man, <laughs> I don't. I don't know about my inner child, man. <laughs> but you know what I found is more and more guys that I work with, more and more guys that I talk to, regardless of who they are, or what type of personality, they can hear that. They, there's something that hits home with that mm-hmm. um, because we'll do things that we know are not in line with our moral code or with how we would want to have been parented mm-hmm. or however you want to say that. And I think the stepping off point or the is do they ignore that and just continue mm-hmm. in that path because they're just going to trudge through and they just are purely driven by ego at that point? Or do they step back and say, man, I've got to listen to this. This doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And then start to do work. And I see that a lot of men don't want to do work on that. And, and you know, it's so fascinating. That's one of the reasons I say that I try to, uh, my, my, my tagline, if you will, is to help people live with inside their skin. Um, you, when you're talking about your sternum, it, it, it's, it's right above your diaphragm. There's all these nerves that innervate right there. And all of our affect shows up right there, right in your sternum, right? Right in that area. Things that are pleasant. So even right now, if you think about the, the, the sweetest thing your daughter's done this last week, mm-hmm. something that you just think, oh my gosh, that was the sweetest thing she's done. I just love my daughter so much, right? And as you're seeing that image in your mind, notice what's happening right in your diaphragmatic sternum area, right? Sure. What are you noticing? It's a sensation. Is it pleasant or unpleasant? It's pleasant. Yeah, right? And so that's affect. It's very pleasant. And then if you think about how you acted the other night when, you know, maybe there was a little bit of struggle going on and we've been talking about that and just kind of notice how you were with that and notice what you saw in her face with that and what are you noticing in your diaphragmatic area? A knot. That's right. That's affect guides all decision. It's, it's really incredible. So I think for the majority, what we're taught to do is shut down from the neck down. And the problem with shutting down from the neck down is that we don't, our, our gut is not our guide. Right. And then when we could tune into the gut, it helps make decisions. It helps us make decisions in the moment. And when I say a lot of people are shut down from the neck down, I also want to, you know, say that I'm also biased because of the type of work I do. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that are not shut down from the neck down. It's just what you're around. That's, yeah, that's part, part you know, that's what I work with. So. Sure. Helping people get in tune with their bodies. Polyvagal theory is very fascinating if anybody wants to look that up. Yeah. Learn more about that. What in all of this stuff that you're um, referencing, I'll put in the show notes so that they can find it at the end. Oh, okay. And then the links and, and any information that they need. So what brought you to this line of work and where you are? and. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, my, my background is fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I did for many years. And I did a little stint in marketing and sales, which was very helpful. Um, my whole life has been about helping others. It's kind of the thread, if you will, that weaves, even in marketing and sales. I was uh, marketing for Dale Carnegie, helping people feel better. And um, actually, no, I'm sorry, that was sales. And marketing was for uh, Health South, right? So 
I had a small fitness business, and one of the ladies I was working with said, you know, Deb, you really ought to be a therapist. And I'm like, ma, ha, ha, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew what went on in my head. <laughs> I don't know about that. And she actually kind of just, we continued to talk about that. And she's like, I think you would be a really great therapist. Um, and so originally when I got into, uh, and, and all the cards just fell together. And um, originally when I went back to school, I wanted to work with eating disorders, primarily because that's what I noticed so much in the fitness field over the years. Um, and then uh, as I was going through school and kind of selecting my specialty, um, I was also in therapy myself. And my therapist said, Debbie, you really, really, really ought to go and be a trauma therapist. And I'm like, what? She said, yeah. I think you'd be a great trauma therapist. Uh, of course, I've had extensive, my own early life trauma, quite a bit of it. And so working through that kind of gives me perhaps a different insight, you know, uh, that first of all, it's, it's possible to heal trauma. It's possible. Second of all, it's possible to reparent, if you will, our inner childs that are, have those developmental need deficits. Mm -hmm. developmental deficits it's possible to do that and so um i know that because i've lived it and i get to work with other people and watch them do it and so um it's just kind of been a unfolding the door was open and i went through it and the door was open and i went through it and then oh wait this door is open and then here i am followed your path i followed my path and the other thing that's so fascinating i think is interesting is um in about 2000, I was living in uh, New Jersey, working in New York City, and I went to a therapist because I was having some issues at work, and I was watching this light bar go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and um, it wasn't until I went to grad school and started to decide what I wanted to do that I found out that that was EMDR, and it was so helpful for me, and I am a certified EMDR therapist now, and it's the, it's the therapy of choice. I think it helps people the quickest. What's the elevator pitch on EMDR? Um, that is a great question. And uh, the elevator pitch on EMDR, basically what we do is we use the brain's natural capacity to heal and we tap into that. Okay. So the therapist isn't doing the healing. We, we have a protocol that we use that was set up um, and, and uh, put together. Um, I'm trying to find the right words. Um, Francine Shapiro came across... Uh, the brain's natural capacity to heal. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of research, created a protocol, did more research, and here we are all these years later. She is the, um, I want to say developer, but that's not the proper word. She's the person that... Founder? Founder, yeah, of EMDR therapy. Trailblazer. Trailblazer, I like it, yes, yes. And um, so it's much like if you were to break your bone, right, you would go to the doctor, the doctor would set the bone, put it in a cast, and your body heals, right? The doctor doesn't heal you, the body heals. Well, the brain is set up the exact same way. So trauma is kind of something that's stored in a stuck state, if you will. Mm -hmm. And through the EMDR protocol, what we help the brain do is tap into other parts of the brain, non-trauma parts of the brain, if you will. And they connect with each other and then the brain is able to heal itself. And some meaning is made of the event. We can't undo past events. That's not possible. However, what we can do is leave them in the past. So the brain, is, in essence, uh, reconsolidates the memory as, you know, wow, it's not happening now. It was a really horrible event or events. And um, it's over. And some learning is made from it. Sure. The, uh, mm -hmm. You know, I had a, a, a TBI when I was a child, a traumatic brain injury, and it, and it um, you know, it really hurt me. It was actually you know, a half mile from where we're sitting on this patio. And so 
Um, that happened when I was six. And I had an enclosed head injury, and it crushed all the bones in my inner ear. And, you know, they had to resuscitate me, uh, I believe, twice. And so they said, as he matures, um, I use that term loosely, but as he matures, you'll notice some um, uh, erratic behavior and some issues with, with just how he develops and things like that. So that was kind of the blanket that I operated under and how I was treated, I think, as a child and growing up. And, <clears throat> but I don't think that was necessarily the case because upon doing work with you and doing the EMDR therapy, it took me back to something that I couldn't remember because I can't remember my childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like very, very, very few things that I can remember and they're just little blips. And it's like just watching a, a quick shot of a movie that I don't understand what the movie's about, you know. But by doing that work... It took me back to a place, and it was just as real as us sitting right here. And it was, it was terrifying because it was just like, oh, my God. You know, I, I didn't even, I haven't thought about this ever. Mm-hmm. But I could see it. I could see what happened. Mm-hmm. I was able to intervene. And, you know, this traumatic point in my, or this traumatic moment in my life. Mm-hmm. And then take myself out of that situation and care for my younger self and then address the threat it I mean it was it was fascinating I remember that um very well and I want to pause real quick what you and I were doing was some uh uh, I want to say advanced EMDR type work right and and one of the things that we you and I were doing was uh, reparenting that's a form of reparenting taking that stuck memory and taking that little guy out of there and bringing him into the present so that your amazing dad self today can tend to him and, and um, give him what he didn't get back then, back there, which was to be seen, to be heard, to be accepted. Like, yes, you're hurting and to be with and comforted and to be protected, right? So the little guy didn't get that. So he was stored in a stuck state. Mm-hmm. And the work that you and I were able to do with the uh, advanced training EMDR is go help that little guy come into the present. So that is over. He's safe now. He's no longer stuck in that activated state. He's in a place where he's accepted and nurtured and protected in your adult self. Yeah. It's very powerful. It sounds woo-woo, doesn't it? It does. When I first heard about this stuff, I'm like, you are crazy, right? Nut jobs. But however, you know, as I've gone back and I've reparented myself and you know, this is going to sound woo-woo also, but I also reparented both of my parents Sure. as though they had um, what they could have been if they were brought up in more functional, loving homes, right? What kind of parents they could have been as they showed up for me and my brother. And it's so powerful how much um, relief comes from that. How much relief. So, yes. Well, well you say, you know, it's woo-woo, and, and, um, and I, I get that 100%, especially... Um, where we live and, and kind of the, um, oh, the, the mindset of, of, of this area and things like that, that, and it's coming along, you know, but it's, it's predominantly a conservative, uh, very, uh, uh, very devout in their faith. And, you know, so that's the only, only, uh, solution and it's, checking my levels here, Trent, so. Check, check. I think we're good. Okay. Can you cut all that out, please? So, um, 
But, you know, you say reparenting your parents, <clears throat> and that doesn't even assign blame. No, it you does know, not. You know, like if somebody would hear that, they're like, well, I could never do that because my dad was great. Or because, for whatever. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like I wouldn't want my kid doing that to me. I'm doing the best I can. Whatever you get hung up on, right? Right. It, it doesn't matter because, in my opinion, because you're just, it's a journey. You're trying to get somewhere. How you get there is your business. So whatever you can do to sleep, to not have this pent up resentment to your parents or this crutch or whatever, whatever, whatever it is showing up as with you, whatever helps, I think you should do. Absolutely. And everybody has their own path and their own way to go. And this used to, I was brought up two career military people mm -hmm. and um, they were brought up in military households. So it was very much, um, you just soldier on, you just suck it up, you stop crying or I'll give you more to cry about. Or they would say something to cry about, which was is actually kind of a hoot. <laughs> yeah. I obviously had something to cry about, or I would not have been crying, thank you very much, right? So, anywho, you know, you just sucked it up and soldiered on. That's what you did. Wantless, needless, look good, do it right. Do it right the first time. That's all a joke, right? So, how is that even possible? So, you know, as I kind of grew up, I know for fact, and there was some yucky stuff going on in my early life. That's, you know, it's not. there's no need to talk about it now, but it was pretty un, uh, unpleasant. And um, I still don't blame my parents, right? Blame, it doesn't help. <laughs> they did the best they could with what they had, and some of it was quite harmful. And so here I am in my adulthood. It's mine to clean up, right? And of the parents out there that did have also some yucky things happen in their childhood, you know, we don't have to repeat what was done to us. We can heal the child within. We could go back and reparent those wounds and those developmental deficits so that we could show up in a whole different fashion for the next generation. And that's also what I feel so blessed to do is I get to help people not carry on that thing, those behaviors that really started two to three generations before they were a thought. It's beautiful and amazing. EMDR can do these things. And that's, that's a good point because... <clears throat> You know, that stubbornness that most most men have, I think, is this is just how it is. Um, or, or, you know, not even just men. I mean, people. just just people because we're all so flawed and we're also driven by our egos and our pride. And, and ego is great. I mean, ego, good. There's good and bad to that, you know. Um, but things that happen generationally, mm -hmm. you know. <clears throat> so whatever happens, they didn't just come up with that. Right. They were taught that. They learned it, yes, absolutely, from their environment. Somewhere, yes. somehow, mm -hmm. there was an input mm -hmm. that made them think that that's how things are supposed to be or that's okay or whatever. And so that continues. And, you know, for for anyone that's just kind of having a hard time, I mean, I, I don't doubt you're having, or I, I don't think you're having a hard time, but just like racism. For Let's use that for an example. Like I grew up, um, everyone used the N-word. Mm. You know, we're down here in the South in Texas and... You know, I grew up around construction. I grew up around uh, concrete guys and framers and carpenters. And if, if there was a black guy working for him, it was his name with the N-word in front of it. Mm. And to this day, I hate that word. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think it was. Um, I don't know how I missed that. Right. That um, behavior. I'm so glad that I did. But everybody spoke that way. And everyone was racist. Uh, well, that I can remember that used that word, they were racist, obviously. But there was people in my family that were not. But, like, 
these were all in a line. They were all father, son, father, son. You know what I'm saying? And so when it got to me, um, I just didn't bite. I always felt like, like that just, that just never sat with me. And I think what happened was I witnessed somebody being referred to as that. And I saw this grown man who I thought was, you know, larger than life, strong, vibrant, this, this cool black man named Charlie. And, uh, he was just, he was just cool. I mean, he was nice to me and, and, and then I heard them refer to him that way and they were doing it like they were, it was, it was an interesting thing, but I saw the reaction on his face. And I remember as a child, like reading that body language and thinking that's not right. And then, so with that being said is you have a choice. Like you can see these behaviors and stop them. So generationally it doesn't continue. If you were beat as a child and you get mad and you pop your kid and you think that's how I was, or that's how I was raised and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously you're not because you just hit your kid. You know, and there's spanking, but there's also hitting, like Correct. It's different. attacking or, or humiliating. And so I see that with people. And I know now socially we're getting a little more aware or a lot more aware. But, um, yeah, so that's just a kind of a little rabbit hole I went in whenever you were saying that. Anyways. Yeah, connecting a lot of things. So, you know, um, we, we cannot update what we're unaware of. And that's where the practice of mindfulness comes in to where we're, we're conscious and we're aware of what we're doing from moment to moment as best as possible. And when we're mindful and when we're in our skin, you know, when we're in our bodies, when we're present, then we can observe what we're doing. And so many times, back to that whole zero to 10 sure. scale I was talking about, where zero is neutral and 10 is as activated as you could be. When we're seven, eight, nine, 10, when we're up there, we're not in our bodies. We're not present. Because somehow, somewhere, you know, there's some form of a, a threat, I'm using air quotes, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, connectedly, relationally, right? And so uh, we're not in our bodies. We're not as present. And so we just kind of react mm-hmm. based on what we've seen in life and what we know to do. So it's almost as though we're, we're not present. So these parents, when they were hit as children and they hit their kids, it's not a, I, I'm not giving them a, and out. However, I am sharing that if we're that activated, we're just going to do what we know. That's part of the reason that we want to be mindful. We want to be present. We want to notice where are we zero to 10 in the moment? Because if I'm a mom and I'm at eight, nine, 10, and my kid is doing something, it's time for me to take a time out or I'm going to repeat what I know. That's just the way the body works. And the kids, the kid doesn't know that. So they're going to keep going. Yeah. And matter of fact, they might've just won because they're emotional terrorists. And that's, I don't know about that. That's, They're kids being kids. <laughs> however you want to look at it. <laughs> it must feel that way. I'm, I bet a lot of people right now are shaking their head yes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, make light of it. But thank you. Because I was, I, I forgot where I was going and then you picked it up perfectly. Because, yes, we, we don't know what we don't know. Right. So you don't know that your behavior is, is, not, is not the way you want to be. Until you, yeah, you're right. Until we're aware. And then we're like, wow, man, I don't even like that. What am I doing? I don't even agree with how I'm acting. That's a trippy experience. (laughs) Because, I mean, I would think if you're at that point with your child, your child is battling you. And they're trying to get a reaction out of you, whether it's they just want the drama or they want the attention or they want to just be right or they're just bucking the system. They're going to keep going. They don't know that mom's, like, reaching the tipping point. They, they don't see that it's about to get into the red, you know? 
And that's mom's job, right? Exactly. To be the parent and moms you and know, dads. Many t- and dads, right? That's mom's job. Dad's job is to be the parent. I can remember as my when I was little, and my dad, he would just fly off. I mean, he was not in his body. Um, he was hit, obviously, as child as a kid, and he was a two-tour Vietnam vet, um, medic out there with the Marines, and so he had a lot of horrific things in his life. And when he would fly off the handle, it would just be this fly off. And, uh, you know, now as a a trauma therapist and an adult, I mean, that man didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't there. He was just operating, unconscious operating, Mm -hmm. right? And so, anyways, it doesn't make it right, but it's also fascinating that we want to be in our bodies as much as possible. And I encourage anybody listening to learn more about mindfulness, presence, and even three to five minutes a day, literally, that's all it takes. And there's so much... uh there are so many resources available that can give it to you in bite-sized pieces to where yeah. if you if you have an iPhone and you have a car or a set of headphones or whatever, you can listen to it, you know, via podcasts or, or Audible or what there's, 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 it's, you don't just have to sit down and read it. So, I mean, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't like to read or I don't have time, I call bullshit. You know, I mean, it's, we make time for what's important. And if you're listening to this, then being a good dad is important. Being a good parent, being a good influence to a child is important. That that just um, find a way to take the time to better yourself every day in that aspect. And even if you're just looking at the end of the day and taking an inventory of yourself, like how did I react? How could I have changed the things I've, I've done? You know, how could I have handled things differently? And what did I do really well? Oh, yeah. The and wins. what can I learn from, right? And the other thing I kind of want to go back to, to to address is that, you know, kids pick up the energy from their parents, right? And a kid's job that they're growing is to push the system, especially if they're intelligent. They're going to they're gonna push back a little bit because they're growing, they're developing, they're learning, right? And um, the parent's energy kids, actually all of us, I heard this first with kids, you know, kids act out what they don't have words for. Adults do that too, right? And so again, I'm going to go back to encouraging the parents to stay in their skin and to kind of notice where they're at because kids pick up on parents' energy. And of course, I don't have children. I want to be real clear on this. I don't have kids. So um, it's, you know, some of this stuff is easy for me to say, right? And, um, but I, uh, I practice as best I can, and I encourage everybody to do the same thing. So I want to make sure that it's real clear that I don't have children, so I don't have firsthand experience. However, I, I work with a lot of people that are parents, and I had parents. I was a child. so, And, well, and, and I do also work with 18 and over, typically, 18 and over. So I'm more of an adult therapist than a child therapist. However, I do help people heal their inner children. Right. <clears throat> And so, and real quick, I want to touch on, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. You said it's, um, it's easy for you to say that. Mm. I would, I would, I would, knowing you, I would probably say that it's not, that you'd have to be really confident in what you're saying to be able to say it. So you probably spent a lot of time laboring over the information and the data and knowing that you can say this and speak the, speak, you know, honestly from yourself. Mm. And and, um, and I guess confidently, again, to use that word. I mean, it's not like you're just throwing some stuff out there like, hey, man, you can't hit your kid, you know, and, and like, you, well, well, yeah, that's easy to say. You try. <laughs> right, right. You know what I find so fascinating is the people that were hit as children, you know what that teaches your kid to do when they grow up? Hit themselves 
verbally, emotionally, when they don't do it right, right? In an ideal world, when the kid doesn't do it right, you go up and you go, huh, yeah, so what can we learn from that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, uh, uh, you know, allow space for them to fail, allow space for them to get hurt and love them when they're failing, hurting, not achieving their goal, and love them when they're succeeding, thriving, and kicking ass, right? And so, you know, there's something to learn from both of those. But when kids are hit, what they learn, hit themselves. Oh, I didn't do it right. Bam, 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 bam. And it takes a lot to over, um, override that, to reparent that, to correct that, because it becomes so natural in our systems. It was literally beat into you. It was literally beat into you. And things that are uh, laid down with high emotion stay a long time. Yeah. yeah. I'm an emotional guy, so I got to keep it pretty level. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about, you know, what can we learn from that? You know, just so just so everyone here knows, the reason I started this podcast was because at heart, I feel like I'm a knucklehead and I need all the help I can get. So selfishly, I did this so I could just kind of take from all the, you know, the advice that I get and then pooling it together. Um, and give. You do that well. Thank you. Yeah. I, 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 I relay. Yeah. I relay. And uh, um, to just prove that I do not think I'm a perfect father or I, d I am flawed. You were talking about um, what can we learn from this. So my 12-year-old daughter may or may not know the expression FGO now, <laughs> which is fucking growth opportunity. <laughs> and so we were talking about something one day and I said, well, baby girl, we're just going to have to call this an FGO. And she just looked at me and, well, she does not let anything go. So I had to explain it to her in detail and she gets it now. So, yeah. so I'll tell her, you know, Hey, it's an FGO and mm -hmm. she understands exactly what it means. You know, I'm not one of those guys that, that, um, if I, if I feel it's necessary to say fuck, mm -hmm. I say it, you know, I don't over, I don't abuse it. It's not in my everyday language, but my daughter has heard me cuss. Well, here's the deal. Um, she's also heard a ton of other people cuss. Right. <laughs> so it's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And that's another parenting choice too, right? I've, I've talked to some men that say, I will not use, you know, cussing, foul language in front of my children. And some men say, I will. And I say, it's your house, your roles. You get to do what you feel is the right thing to do as a parent. Yeah. And I've heard like that confuses them. What do you mean? Uh, well, as far as, um, Talking that way in front of them, but not allowing them to talk that way. Yeah, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I just tell her that those are adult words, and that's how I express myself in the in situations like these. Mm -hmm. And I've gone back and forth. Mm -hmm. There's also a whole lot of backstory to that that we won't get into because that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyways, and also it's it's just a way. I want to show up exactly as I am to my daughter. She gets to see dad for who he really is. She mm -hmm. gets to see me in all of my glory, flawed. She gets to see the highs, the low, not all the lows. You know, okay. I, I try not to be, I don't take her through the emotional roller coaster that I've been through mm, good. intentionally. Mm -hmm. You know, she may have seen because of just reactions to things, but what she does see is the type of man that I am in, in, um, in all of my most of my imperfections. Mm. And I admit that to her. You know, I make amends to her. Like, if I do something that wasn't right, I come back to her. And I've heard people say, you don't want to do that because it, um, it uh, mm, makes it to where they don't respect you or they won't trust you. What? As a really? You, people say that? I have heard that. Huh. Not from doctors. 
not from counselors, yeah. but from other parents. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that's bullshit. You know, like, I think I need to teach my daughter to say, I'm sorry I was wrong because that's a powerful thing that I did not learn into yeah. until I was 30. Right. You know, I was told I was sorry for a long time, but I was never actually able to just say, man, that wasn't right. I apologize. That's not how I want to be. That's not the dad I want to be. You deserve mm-hmm. better than that. And, and I think that that's a way that um, I stay connected with her. That's right. Because when we air, it's supposed to feel bad. Yes. And that's our gut going, mm-hmm. like alerting us that that feels bad. Well, the cool news about when we're staying in tune with our skin, shame, you know, the way I'm using it here based on the Panksep work that was referenced earlier, shame is uh, cultural, like social, right? Because we're social creatures. And guilt is uh, our own moral compass. So when we act out of line in a way that we don't believe in, it feels bad right in your sternum area or your uh, diaphragmatic area. And it feels bad because it's supposed to feel bad. It's like your gut getting your brain's attention saying, hey, stop it. That feels bad. Don't do that, right? So when we feel bad, we want to pay attention to it. So we could do just what you talked about, which is the repair. Like we own our behavior. We amend it the best I can. And amend means to update and change the best we can. So that we get to feel this other side of the affect over here on the um, other end of the spectrum, which is, and again, this is not a... um, word a lot of people like to use it this way but it's called pride and the way I'm using pride is like I did good I helped someone I repaired an error and it feels good because it's supposed to feel good because that is our gut telling our brain huh look if I make an error I can address it update it do something different and then I can feel good about it Mm -hmm. and it feels good so we repeat that so our gut is powerful and we get away from that um that stubbornness that I'm right or I'm just going to, I'm going to hold strong. You're like, you know, you're fucking wrong. You can yes. feel it, but you're just sitting there like tight lip, like, nope, yeah. it's fine. Mm. So one thing I would say, and this, this speaks directly to the guys out there that have, um, um, uh, a child that goes back and forth to two houses. Ooh, right. So what I've experienced a lot is she comes over to my house and it's a different environment. I'm, I'm completely different than her stepdad. Her mom and I, you know, are, are, are different. We're friends now, but there's a reason why we didn't work out. You know, we're personalities are completely different. And so sometimes, depending on where my daughter's at and where I'm at, it takes us almost the whole time together to get into a groove. You know, she's not doing this right. I, you know, everything's kind of annoying. Like, it's just, it's just I'm not used to being around you. And then other times, it's like we've never missed a beat. And uh, I'm going to take that. I'll take most of the responsibility on that because I can control that. I can't control her. So I know that I, uh, I can prepare myself to always kind of try to get in that rhythm. And one thing that I do with that rhythm is just like you have to pair your phone to something, like a, a, a device to an accessory that hasn't been around. I need to pair with my daughter. So when I see her, I hug her. And I hug her tight. And I hug her for a long time. And, you know, usually her mouth is already running. She's talking 90 miles an hour. And I just, you know, just hold her as quick as I can and try to pour my love and my energy into her. At least so she can feel it. And um, that might sound kind of woo-woo to some people, but I don't care. You know, I mean, it works. 
And I think that that just connects us instead of me just showing up. And so I heard your mom said you did this, this, and this. And so she's getting it from me too. And right. so she doesn't feel safe anywhere. Um, you know, that, that co-parenting situation is not ideal, but it is what most of us are in. And, and so you have to make the best of it. And it can actually be a good thing. Um, I know that there has been many, many, many times that the day that she goes home, I go home, I do my thing, and then I get into bed, and about 11 o'clock at night I wake up and I feel this horrendous sense of guilt for everything that went on. I could have done this differently. I could have done this differently. I was an asshole. That's not how I should have spent our time, you know, or, or that wasn't an activity that she enjoyed. That was just her dragging, dragging her along with stuff I wanted to do. And, you know, and then you get that guilt, you get that shame, and you know your little girl's at home. Um, I'm not saying if that's accurate or not, and if that's just me beating myself up. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking that that's a wonderful opportunity when you notice yourself doing that to also kind of, uh, that's learned as well, right? Sure. I mean, feeling bad, when our, our gut feels uh, is loud when we act out, right? When we act against our moral compass or against social norms. Um, and it feels bad to get our attention so that we can repair and learn new and different, right? We could do that um, opposite action or the, or the one that works more within our value system, right? And so when we have our own uh, shame spiral going on inside our own heads or the, our own guilt spiral going on inside our heads, I woulda, coulda, shoulda, that's a wonderful time for us to pause and, and go into that with some kindness and some compassion, mm -hmm. right? Kindness and compassion isn't being a wimp. No. Kindness and compassion calms the nervous system enough so that we can learn different and do different. So when we're in that spiral and we're telling ourselves, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, da 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 da, da what we're more likely to do is repeat. When we could show up and notice that that's going on inside our minds, we could say, oh, look, there it is. Yes, this is going on. And um, I'm going to move into that and share some compassion with myself, right? And I'm simplifying right now. Um, I'm trying not to do therapy <laughs> in the moment. I'm so in a free I'm, session. <laughs> <laughs> so I really try to simplify that. But when we notice ourselves speaking harshly to ourselves, we also want to pause. Yeah. Again, guilt is there to let us know, hey, I'm doing something against my moral compass. It's not for us to criticize, condemn, and complain ourselves because that's going to set up more likelihood for us to not be able to look at what we're doing. We want to kind of notice like, yeah, I did that, man. What could I do different? Yeah, I feel bad about that. Mm, okay, yeah. What did I do that I feel bad about? And what could I do different? How could I update? And that's how we're going to do new and different. I don't know if that made any. No, it does. I mean, self-talk is, is super important. And um, that was another one of those things that I roll my eyes at. Like, get the hell out of here with that hippie shit. You know, but it's um, not against hippies. But it's, um, it's so important. It's imperative. Because now what I used to learn, what I used to do was like, you dumb fuck, yeah. would be the way I talked to myself. Yeah. And people would say, would you talk to your daughter like that? You know, I, I believe you've said stuff like that to me. Like, talk, how would you feel if someone spoke to your wife or your daughter like that? You know, and so that's kind of made it aware. And, and I also believe that she picks up on that. But the one thing that I was, I was kind of going towards, um, and I got long-winded, is, uh, which happens, going and apologizing to her. Yeah. You know, like, I've shown up at my daughter's doorstep the next day mm. at, after I text my ex-wife to make sure that it's okay. because Because nice boundaries. Yes. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a good co-parenting relationship, learn about boundaries. 
how to set them and how to respect them. So, and I'd show up and not even with a new bike or anything, cause that's the wrong message, but just showing up with myself, like, you know, yesterday didn't end the way I wanted it to. I want you to know that I love you. I'm always here from you or for you. And, um, you know, I'm with you on everything. So don't ever forget that. Yeah, you're modeling. That's modeling. That's demonstrating that it's we're fallible. We're human. We're fallible. And when we make an error and we become aware of it, we can own it and repair it. It's really, really great. And the other thing is it's always okay to put words to what's going on. I think that um, some of us missed out on that learning. Some people know it naturally and some people don't, right? And um, when you were talking, I'm rewinding a little bit to when you were mentioning earlier, it takes a little bit of time to, to pair with your daughter if, after you haven't seen her for a couple of days. And it's also okay to just put words to that and say, you know what, honey, I'm, I'm having a, <laughs> whatever your words are, right? It's taken me a little bit to adapt or um, I'm having a moment I'm, I'm pairing with you right now. <laughs> Some version of that, putting words to whatever's going on um, so that, you know, what you see is what you get. And also as the kids get older, um, it, it's also acceptable to say, hey, I want to hug you, can I hug you? So that she knows that no is an acceptable answer, that if she doesn't want a hug from dad, she doesn't have to have a hug from dad. And dad's going to love her whether she wants a hug or not. That's powerful and important for her as an adult woman. To know that it's her body. That's her body, her choice. She might love you so much, dad. Dad, I'm so excited to see you. I love you so much. Give me a big hug. Urgh. God, I love you, dad. And sometimes it might be, dad, I'm so pissed off at you. Don't fucking hug me in her head. Of course, she's not going to say that because she's 12, but she probably says that in her head. <laughs> Because she's heard it. the fuck word before, right? Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's so important for her to know that if I'm mad at you, Dad, I don't have to hug you. I could stand here two feet away from you, be mad at you, think you're just the biggest meanie pants ever, and you're going to love me no matter what. And I don't have to hug you if I don't want to. Because what happens is when kids have to hug, especially daughters and sons, the kids, when kids have to hug their parents, when they're mad at them and their parents make them hug them, you know what that teaches them? Down the road, they get married. Mm. Here they are. They're grown women. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a woman, so I'll talk about that, right? So here you are in your marriage, and I'm so mad at you. I can't stand it, but I have to hug you because when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to say, I don't want to hug. So here I am being incongruent, inconsistent, and I don't have the ability to say no. Well, that sets up a whole <laughs> a whole set of issues, right? Right. So, I mean, it really kind of does start from, you know, childhood, adolescence, that it's okay to say no, and I'm going to love you no matter what. So that is a foundational thing um, of teaching a daughter, or t teaching any child, but we'll just talk about a daughter for a second, of how to um, respect and have ownership of her body. And... Mm -hmm setting those good boundaries to where she does not lose the say in what happens to her body. Absolutely. Matter of fact, this afternoon in just a, in just a couple of hours, I'm, I'm going over and I'm doing a talk for girls. And part of the talk is to be response-able mm -hmm. and put ourselves in, in wise situations. And one of the things that's so powerful is that, and I see this a lot with girls um, I work with uh, high school, like 18 and over, like I said, in a, l a large population of college students. And the girls don't know that they could say no. Right. They don't know that they could say And they don't even know it's their job to say no. 
So somebody will come on to them. Somebody will come up to them. They'll want to have sex with them. And the girls don't know that they could say no. The girls don't know that they can start sex or flirting and then decide that they don't want to do it anymore. They don't know that they could say no. And I personally think that a lot of that starts when they're little girls and dad's mad (laughs) or dad's forcing a hug and they don't have the right to say no, right? And so I think fostering that capacity in our children is really, really important right now and still be loved and so anyways that's part of what I'm going to be doing today this afternoon in a little bit is um, teaching girls how to say no and where are you doing that at um, I'm going to uh, someone's home there's about nine girls um, and they're going off to college so Excellent. I'm going to be teaching them some things that's so awesome. it's all girls yeah but I, I mean I thought about that just because of what you were just sharing just now sure. you know allowing uh, space for yes and no now, of course, we want to put that into context, right? It's not like, clean your room. No, fuck you. I don't want to clean my room. Oh, honey, I love you. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is allowing a space for her to say, I don't want to hug right now. Yeah, but I you're cleaning want... your fucking room. But you're cleaning your fucking room. That's, that's what you get to do. You could do it now. You could do it easy or you could do it hard. But it's happening. Yeah. Right? So ba- th- that kind of a thing, follow through, is vital. See, and that, that right there... Um... There's like seven things popping off in my head, but like that right there, one of those deals about choosing your battles is like, you know, finding that line. Okay. So like the other day with the washing her hair, right. Um, escalated and ended poorly. It ended me apologizing to her and us hugging it out. Um, which she probably didn't want to hug me, you know, so whatever. I'll remember that next time. Um, but the cleaning your room thing. You know, it's like, which one do you step away from and which one do you say, this is how you're going to do it because this is, so you just follow your gut. So when your gut tells you, you know what, just let her live in the room how she wants to live in it. Because I'll, I'll, um, I'm going to throw my ex under the bus a little Mm -hmm. bit and this probably be the only time I'll do it on this, this episode. Um, if you announce it, it doesn't count. That's right. It's like, with all due respect, sir, you're a fucking asshole. I like how earlier you said, fuck you, dad, and then called him a meanie pants. And like the next sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Complex, right? Yeah. So um, she's, uh, sh- she's a very neat person, which is, which is a great trait to have, mind you. Yes. You know, and I'm a pretty neat and tidy person myself because the way I grew up was not that way. And so she's super neat. And so if anything's out of place, you know, it, it bothers her. So what'll happen is clean your room, clean your room. No, 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 no. And then, so then mom comes and does it cause it bothers her so much. And I'm like, Hey man, you're teaching her that if she just waits it out, her room's going to get cleaned. You'll do it. Yep. Yep. So I think her mom is now, um, I'm pretty sure has now just been like, okay, you're going to do it. And so one of those things just kind of following what's important and what's not. Yeah, because what's important to me is not going to be the same that's important to you, right? Yeah. And what's important to you is not going to be the same that's important to me. And so we want to kind of learn to tune in to our gut. And, you know, it'll get heavy, uh, tight, twisty. That's kind of a noticing that. It's kind of an unpleasant. Um, Or it will get light and feel steady, sturdy, calm. And that's more of a pleasant, right? And so I'm not, yeah, I, Tune into your gut. There's a great book out there called Blink. <laughs> Anybody's interested in Blink, and it talks a bit about your gut. And I just kind of also wanted to say, you know, I'm 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 mentioning things in a very simplistic term, in simplistic terms, and I encourage um, people to do do research and continue to learn and um, take what fits and leave what doesn't. 
We're trying to shield the uh, microphones from the wind. Mm. One of the benefits of, or one of the disadvantages of being up here on the patio is um, the wind yeah. and the trucks. So um, what's important to you is not what's important to me and vice versa, but also like what's important to you is not going to be important to your child. You know, and maybe that was what you were saying, and I just heard it differently. But no, that's not what I was saying. Okay. It's a good point to so, add to. So, like, mm-hmm. if you, if if for you, it's super important that your clothes are starched and perfect and pristine, and your hair is a certain way, and mm-hmm. makeup, or or uh, if you're a man, uh, makeup your is your thing. Hey, and makeup is your thing, then that's your thing. Um, but everything has to be a certain way, and that might not be your daughter's bag. She might not care about that at all. And so if you force that kind of stuff on her outside of making sure that your daughter has all the tool or son has all the tools necessary to, to, you know, maintain hygiene, then you're forcing something on them that they don't want. Yeah. And everything uh, that that's forced like that is a struggle, right? Yeah. If we try to force anything, it's going to come right back, right? It's going to be a wedge. Yeah. And so at, you know, to discipline is to teach, right? So as you teach your children, um, you get to teach them, right? Inform them, educate them so that they know when, you know, just watch and see, maybe I'm wrong. Just watch and see when you attempt to force your children, how that goes, right? And just let me know how that goes versus informing them. It's a little different, you know, but it'd be fascinating to kind of just observe oneself and see what works more effectively. I, I picture um, when you say that, like something I literally witnessed was a woman holding a three-year-old in one arm, dragging the five-year-old by his foot out of a store because it was linoleum all the way out into the mall. And my daughter and I were there and he was throwing a fit and they had to go and he wasn't having it. So she was dragging him on the floor, out the store. They had somewhere to be, and my daughter and I just watched it. And that's so. When you're telling me making them some, do something they don't want to do, that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> but like you know, driving a wedge and, and things like that, it's like sports. You know, sports not might not be your kid's thing. That's right. Like I, I'm really into martial arts, and I think that um, martial arts is is extremely important for children. You know, it's it's um, it has a lot of benefits. Other than the self defense, you know, and the protection factor, which I think is vital for for girls. You know, I mean, um, I think things like jujitsu are just amazing for little girls to protect themselves because mm-hmm. they need to be able to get out of situations from guys that are that outweigh them by 50 pounds. But I pushed it so much. She don't want to have anything to do with it now. Mm-hmm. So now I've just kind of like backed off and I don't bring it up. I don't say anything about it. I go on about my way. And now she's starting to kind of like be interested in it again that old saying attraction versus promotion and also too i mean there are some things right the parents you know to teach again like this is just the way it is Mm -hmm. and so just the way it is still gets to happen it's without the force does that make any sense like you're gonna clean your room yeah yeah it's gonna happen you could do it now and it could be pleasant or you could do it the hard way, whatever that looks like, right? It's a very calm, matter-of-fact statement. It's happening. So you get to choose and pick how it's going to go down. But it's going down versus, I told you to clean your room, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, just expect a fight because they're going to pick up on your energy and they're being forced, you know? And it's it's that, um, again, well, a lot of this also starts early, early, early in life. And a lot of it also starts with, again, reparenting your your inner self, we're talking about forcing the issue and how well it 
how well that will work out for you. <laughs> and I think that's probably, we had to move inside because of the wind, but let's go ahead and we'll start wrapping this up since um, you can go on about your day. We can both go on yes. and do that next thing. I'm, uh, I'm going to pick up my daughter after this. I bought her a truck for her 12th birthday. And um, Tell everybody about your plan. I love it. So I'm going to, well, not going to, I am doing it, is um, I didn't want to buy her concert tickets or anything like that for her birthday because she'll forget about that stuff. I want her to learn how to drive, and I'm teaching her how to. She's driven my truck, but it's an automatic. And um, I think it's absolutely necessary that everybody knows how to drive a standard. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of an important skill. Not so much now because none of the cars have that but right. it's just i think that it's it's just uh, uh everybody's shaking their head right now i don't need to explain it so i found an old truck because my theory is i've got about four years before i'm the dumbest son of a bitch on the block and she doesn't want to have anything to do with what i have to say when she turns about 16 and she's off doing her thing i think i'm going to have less and less of an impact for a while mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> i bought this truck and we're going to restore it together and it just so happens to be the same thing that my very first truck was. And it's a 73 Scout. And it's a tank. Like, I'm completely confident that she'll be fine in it. And, but I'm going to teach her how to work on the car. We're going to completely restore it from the ground up. And then she's going to learn how to drive in it. She does not get to get her license unless she can pass my driving test. Hmm. And that's driving a standard, backing up to, hooking up, and pulling a trailer. And then the maintenance required to own a vehicle and also roadside emergencies you know not in a controlled environment so like running the truck off of the road and getting out you know blowing out a tire on a gravel road and ending up you know kind of on an uneven pavement things like that that might be a lot to put on her but she's super excited about it so I'm going to pick her up today because I got the truck Uh and I'm taking her and she gets to clean it out so it's and it's such quality time, right? She gets to spend quality time with dad doing a task, and that is so esteem building. And these are memories that she's going to have her whole life. It's really, really solid. And I think that the stuff that I can teach her with this, and the, the things that she can teach herself, mm-hmm. and the confidence that she has mm-hmm. will, will gain is. Um, and this is all my theory. You know that that when she's not listening to me anymore, or if it's my idea, it's a bad idea. She'll still have these things. You, she'll, still, she'll still know how to do these things. Like if she's stuck on the side of the road, she'll know how to protect herself. She'll know how to get out of the situation. She won't be a damsel in distress. And honestly, she'll require less input from a man. And also she knows that she's valuable and valued um, because dad gave that to her, right? You're with her. You're connecting with her. You're t- attuning with her. And that's what love looks like. Love mm-hmm. looks like paying attention, doing things together. And so you're actually demonstrating that. Mm -hmm. And so as she grows up, that's what love's going to look like, right? So she's more than likely to pick a man that does things with her, that treats her with respect, that loves and receives love, that does things together. And um, it's a relational uh, model that will probably help her um, make choices on her best behalf a little bit more often. So it's, it's really, really neat. Really neat. Yeah, so she's going to gain some information from this. Some of it she'll remember, some of it she won't because she's got a 12-year-old brain. Mm-hmm. But what she's going to know is that she's loved. And that is powerful. And she's going to know relationally that she matters and that's powerful. She's less likely to go marry a man that um, is going to treat her poorly, It's going to verbally abuse her, that's going to do different things, right? So 
I think I think it's a it's it's powerful on a variety of different levels that you're doing that with your daughter and you're giving her that experience and that time and the sweet memories that she's going to gain that she'll be able to have for the rest of her life, right? She'll meet somebody like she'll she'll model whatever behavior or he will model. So like if if you're abusive to her, if you if you if you if speak, you treat your kid poorly, your kid learns that's what love looks like. They don't do it consciously; it's unconscious, right? Yeah. It's like those people, you know, the, the, that girl, you know, that friend, that sister, oh. whoever that mm -hmm. like, why do you always pick these, these dirt bags? Yeah. It's like, well, look at what kind of well, man was there. Yeah. I mean, my dad was emotionally unavailable and he wasn't very nice. We'll just throw it out there. Right. So what kind of man did I pick the first half of my adult life? Sure. Emotionally unavailable men that weren't very nice. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's only taken me till I'm 50 to, to update and learn new and different. Right. So I had a lot of stuff to sort through. So, uh, again, my dad did the best he could with what he had. Right. It's still also that's what love looked like, right? So I chose men that weren't available. I chose men that weren't very nice because that's what I thought love looked like. Mm -hmm. Again, I didn't consciously do that. It wasn't like I'm going to set out to choose that kind of a man, right? It just it's just happened. what I knew, right? And so, anywho, as you're doing these things with your daughter, what she's, <laughs> she's learning a different model and as her brain is developing, that's what love looks like, you know? Yeah. It's powerful. It's good stuff. So be, <clears throat> the one thing I do tell guys a lot and it's something I preach is be the type of man you'd want your daughter to marry or be the type of man that you'd want your son to be. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just treat their, treat their wife or treat your wife that way. Treat your ex-wife that way. Like just be, be respectful to the women in your life and, and they will model that. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be present. Yeah, yeah, and always be learning. <laughs> That's the thing, too. Is Glenn like, Gary, Glenn Ross, instead of always be selling. <laughs> always be learning. <laughs> always be learning. Always be learning. So, and, and you, you know, like you... Uh, talked about your dad was, you know, that's, he did the best he could, he right? He did. He really did. Right. But why, because that's what he knew. That's right. And so the whole point of this stuff is for us to, you know, to shake that tree and, and to make us look at ourselves and mm -hmm. be like, what don't I know about myself? And that's where you go to your wife. Mm -hmm. It's where you go, don't go to your, I mean, you can go to your friends, but then you might seek help. You know, you might find a, a, a professional just to go talk to, um, and, and just kind of let them get a read on you. Like just to take a baseline measurement of where you're at at any given time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I didn't realize I was such a narcissistic asshole. You know, like I didn't realize that I'm just like, you know, like if you've ever heard the expression, oh, you're just like your fucking father. That might be a, you, that might be an indicator, you know, mm -hmm. that you that you need to take a look at certain things. And that was one of the other things is I learned from my dad how he would act, how I don't want to act. Some people are examples, right. some people are warnings. That, yeah, and so one of the things I learned about my dad, it, he, would, he would say the meanest things, mm -hmm. right? And so I learned from a very early life, and this is one of the gifts I got from my dad, is you can't unspeak a spoken word. So once you say something, you can't take it back. And if all of us just take a moment and think about some of the hard things that were said to us as children, yeah. we could still remember those things that it still hurts and, and it's still loud in our memories, right? So as a parent, you know, just, just keep this in mind. You can't, uns you can't unspeak a spoken word. You can't take it back. Once you say that, it's out there and that sticks in a kid's brain. Now, these are going to happen, right? Let's face it. We're just human. We're going to say things and we're like, oh crap, I wish I didn't say that and we'll repair it to the best of our ability. However... As soon as possible. As soon as possible, right? It's always great to own our behavior and apologize. We talked about that and repair it. Um, but yeah, 
You can't unspeak a spoken word. Can't yeah. unring a bell. You cannot. I love it. You're right. Can't so unring a bell. You take a plate. Like I have a joke that I tell with one of my buddies, but it's not. A, I mean, it's not a joke. It's just you know, pl- making light of it. But if you take a plate and throw it on the ground and break it, uh. and then you glue it back together, and you're like, I'm sorry, plate. You know, the cracks are still there. <laughs> right. I mean, you've tried to do the best you can to make it not there, but the cracks are still there. The glue is still there. You yeah. know, I mean, the damage has been done. Uh-huh. So pause. Pass. Don't say shit that, I mean, because I've, I've done it too. And then you uh-huh. get done and you're like, mm. Mm. and a lot of us will like, once you've done it, well, I'm going to ride this thing out so Eight. I can, so I can make myself right. Zero to 10. Where are you at? Yeah. yeah. Pay attention. And uh-huh. I, like my daughter, she knows dad, I need a timeout or I need to, I need to take a minute. Uh-huh. But all right, so we've covered a lot of great stuff, and I really, really appreciate you doing this. I really appreciate you. I'm uh, super grateful for you. I love I really you so appreciate much. You. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited and thrilled about this podcast and what you're going to do and all the people you're going to connect with and help. It's, it's. Um, I'm thrilled for you, and I just love you. I love you too, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have you back on because there's so much more. Um, that we need to talk about. I think there are so many things that you can bring to this. And I know that um, I see the work that you do with people. Mm-hmm. I know that the, I, I know what your motives are. I can see your true self. Mm-hmm. I, I know what's behind it. And I know how good and kind and loving and powerful you are. Um, if you've ever met Debbie, she's five. How tall are you? I'm five two. But she's got a 10 foot shadow. <laughs> she's I a very, that. very powerful, powerful person that I just adore. Um, so real quickly leaving, if you could it, tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully not say you're just gone, you disappear, you get hit by a truck Okay. and you wanted to pass on something to parents about relating, you know, just something quick. What is one thing that you could tell them? That's a great question. And I'm pausing for a moment. And I think the one, we don't have to repeat what was done. We have options. We have choices. And we can repeat what was done because some of the stuff that was done is brilliant and wonderful and loving and connecting and kind, right? So yes, by all means, that's wonderful stuff to repeat. But we're not stuck. We're not crystallized. As long as we're living, we're adaptive and malleable and pay attention to who you are and how you show up. Pay attention. I think that's it. You know, be in your skin. Be the person you believe in. You know, in the morning when I wake up, I ask, I invite God, my version of God, into myself. And I ask God to help me be the woman he would have me be all day long. And then when I go to sleep at night, I say, thank you, God, for helping me be the woman you would have me be all day long. And I hope, thank you for all the lessons I've learned, even the painful ones, right? Because every day we learn stuff, right? Um, And I say thank you for that. And I think if, if I was to get hit tomorrow, just... You know, if, if I could have a legacy since I was unable to have children, my legacy would be to help people live inside their skin and be the best version of them that they can be as often as possible. And if they want to learn how to do that, where, they, where can they find you? Oh, um, you could Google my name, D-E-B-B-I, Dunbar, D-U-N-B-A-R, L-P-C, Fort Worth, or uh, Debbie Dunbar, EMDR therapist, Fort Worth. Okay, excellent. All that will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you so much. I love you. I appreciate you. you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Circle of Dads podcast. Uh, I appreciate all the support, and I appreciate um, uh, just this opportunity. 
I'm very grateful for it, and I'm very grateful to be in this position. Remember, fellas, love, love runs downhill. We chase after them until the day we die. <laughs>